And so we experimented and said, let's have a trial run of being a manager, a first-time manager. We took about 25 people that wanted to be a manager as a cohort. We said, okay, for a, a period of six to nine months, we would give you a small team. You'd be responsible to learn how to interview, make hiring decisions, and then you get to decide whether or not you want to continue in the manager path or not. Don't conduct your analysis in isolation because data is so incredibly powerful. Not defending just the tribe, but defending the organization. Those creative people that you really want to keep empowered, keep excited, keep motivated, keep thinking. A good experience pays dividends down the line. Stereotypes tend to break down in proximity. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast about human resources, business, technology, and the workplace. My name is Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey, this is Ben. Welcome to We're Only Human. I'm really glad that you're here with us today. So I want to really quickly give you a heads up that this episode is a recent replay from the HR Summer School Field Trip Edition that we ran online, and it was such a great conversation. I wanted to make sure and give it a little more airtime here on the podcast for those of you that might not have heard it there during that live event. So I had a chance to talk to Pat Waters, who's now the head of people over at UKG. She's been at multiple organizations throughout the industry, as you'll hear in just a little bit, and she has some great insights around how we can enable managers and how we can be better partners of them so that we can get better results ultimately for our people. It's a really tremendous conversation. I hope you're ready to take some notes because I know I've got a lot of good stuff out of this, and I think you will as well. And now, on with the show. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Goodness, it's been for, for a while, honestly. I've been following Pat, so I'm kind of a fanboy. I've been following Pat for a while, her adventures, the different companies she's worked for, and I'm so excited to have this chance to, to spend with you, to learn from you, and to share some of your insights with the audience here. Pat, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So before we get into some of the fun stuff, we're going to talk about enabling managers to be better partners with us and some of the other kind of things like that. But before I get to that, would you take a second and tell the audience a little more about who you are and what you do? Sure. So I'm Pat Waters. I currently hold a position at UKG as head of um, global talent, head of people, CHRO, whatever you want to call it, so run all things HR. I've been with the organization since April. I stepped down from the board seat to do this operational gig. I really love what I get to do and doing it in the talent space. This is, gosh, I'm aging myself, Ben, a little bit. This is probably my fifth gig as head of HR. Um, so I love all things talent and I'm a mom of three. I'm a new grandma. She is two and a half months old. I know I'm really young to be a grandma, but I am. And I surfed for the first time in my life two nights ago. So a little bit about me. Oh my goodness. Surfed for the first time. I've never done that. So, um, was it, it was scary? Fun. Was it fun? It was a little scary, okay. uh, something I always wanted to do, but was afraid. And then I got on the board. I had the wetsuit, got paddled in the water. So like legit, but I didn't stand. So let's just be clear to the audience. I did not stand yet surfing, but it's, I can call it surfing because I did all the things to get me into the waves. And I did kind of like went into the waves on the board, just not on my feet. Hey, we'll take it. You've got to be in good shape to uh, hold that grandbaby, right? So that's, that's what's yes. So we, yes. can't, we can't risk that. Okay. No. So I'll go slow. I'll go slow on the board. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So one of the things that 
you and I both know, again, based on your own experiences, you've seen this firsthand. And I know from my own experience working in HR and now working alongside HR leaders is we know so much of an employee satisfaction on the job really depends not just on all the stuff that we touch, but on their manager. That relationship matters so much in how they feel about work, how they feel about their job, how they feel about the tasks they do, like to the very specific level. And I just love to cast a big net for you to open this up and ask, what can we do from our position to help enable these managers to be better people leaders? Gosh. Um, so yeah, I agree. Managers are the, are the, the pivot role, right? They have such an impact. And I heard somewhere uh, that managers have more impact on our mental health than our primary doctors do. Mm. that's kind of wild, right? If you think about it and you know that, you know, from a nutrition standpoint, people always say they leave their managers, not their orgs. So you got to pay attention to your managers. And prior in my gigs, what I was learning is that if I said, look, I'm doing a management program, I'm trying to create great leaders, great managers, the employees are like, what about me? You don't care about me. Right. And then I realized as I matured, it's like, I am doing this for you. Like, believe it or not, like you deserve a great manager and a leader. And every time we promote someone into their first time manager job, because you got to start somewhere, we're kludgy. I sucked as a manager my first year. I sucked. I Right? Same here. Same all here. of you that sucked, raise your hands because we all sucked. <laughs> and it's like, I think it's partly been intentionally, I want to be great. I want to be great as a service to others, not to be great to be recognized, but to be great to be in service of others. Because if I can unlock the magic in my team and their output and their engagement, and their intent to stay, I have, a, I have a very stable team, high engagement, innovative, solving problems, getting stuff done. Uh, that's really cool. Now, how do you support those managers? It's, uh, I think now with my wisdom, I'm I, and I started teasing this out, a while back is like thinking through agile management and leadership, not, not like create a practice that you will adhere to at all costs, but it's like being situational, adapting to your team where needed, being inclusive, you know, that agility to, to embrace all different types of people to get the most out of that conversation. That's like key. So teaching them that, um, the growth mindset for yourself and for others, like I haven't learned it yet, so always be a teacher, servant leader, teacher. So give them context, give them the why behind something, give them empowerment to try to create their own solutioning and then guide them along the way to make them their better selves, make them net better off, right? What will happen is that it'll be reverse mentoring. If you empower your team to solve problems with you to co-create, then you and I get smarter along the way because you, you're closer to the problem than I am. Your ideas might be sharper and probably will be sharper than mine because you see the problem clearer. Um, I will get smarter in the process and then I can dabble on some wisdom on top, right? So I think leaders need to have the vulnerability to listen, the growth mindset, you know, the agility and the vulnerability to know that they're not great at first and seek feedback along the way. I'm taking notes over here, by the way, like keeping, keeping up with these ideas. I love this. So <laughs> I want to ask you one thing. Why do you think we, if we're going to paint with a broad brush for a second, right? We as organizational yeah. leaders, we spend more time picking out healthcare benefits or other kind of things we're going to offer our people. We spend so much more time on those things than we do on picking the next leader, on identifying who's a good candidate for our leadership role. We're like, oh, you know what, Pat? You've been here long enough. We have nowhere else to put you. We're going to make you manager now. Why do we do that as organizations? 
I, I just think like we like certain people and we think they have room to grow and we have a problem. And so we plug and play. Right. So I, I we're not always sophisticated knowing what the organization needs. We're not always sophisticated knowing, you know, all the skills and how quickly you can evolve and adapt. And I don't know if we always set out what does success look like in that role as clearly as we could, because we may not know. Right. So what I always try to think about, um, I did an experiment back in my Yahoo days on the engineering side is like, do you even want to be a manager? You know, it should be like the Saturday night um, sitcom. Like, do you want to manage? <laughs> because it is so hard. And they think they being the role they mm-hmm. uh, or we, we believe that in our career path, we must become a manager in order to be great and successful, et cetera. That's our path in life if we want to grow. In fact, it's not really the only path. And so as leaders, we have to show both paths. And so while at Yahoo, we experimented and said, let's have a a trial run at being a manager, that first time manager. We took about 25 people that wanted to be a manager as a cohort. And we did several, you know, few cohorts at a time in a sequence. And we said, okay, for a a period of six to nine months, depending on what we were looking for, we would give you um, a small team. You'd be responsible to learn how to interview, make hiring decisions. You'd give feedback. You'd accept feedback. You would help them with the sprints of their work, of their engineering development. But your job is to ensure that you have the right people doing the right stuff at the right time with grace. Right. And then when we get into performance feedback and you have to give conversations every month, how did you do it? How did the employee receive feedback? Um, did you and and in that path, we'd also expose them to some compensation decision making. So if you're going to give someone an increase, how would you look at their comp and show them the salary ranges and some of the methodology that employees have heard about but not seen behind the curtain? And so all of a sudden. Um, and then at the end of their sprint, they get a 360, a literal 360 there. So their their team that they were managing goes, hey, Ben, you did this good, that, mm, you know, this is. And by the way, they've been giving you feedback along the way. So you're not so surprised about what you're hearing upwards. Your peers have told you how well you played with others and your boss and your sponsor have told you how well have you elevated up issues, solved problems and learned how agile, how curious were you in this process? And then you get to decide, Ben, whether or not you want to continue the manager path or not. Is this for you? And you could say, heck no, I'm out, stage left. I'll be a technical IC. I'll try this another day. Or count me in. I actually love doing all this stuff because it's it's a privilege to lead and manage, but it is your day job. It's You're not supposed to be a technical programmer. You're supposed to make the most out of your team and the people that you get to serve every day. And so it is a different mind shift. I love that story. I love that example. And that's so uncommon to say, hey, we're gonna let you try this before you commit to it long-term because it's really hard if we say, hey, Pat, try this out. Sorry, if we say, hey, Pat, we're gonna promote you into leadership. And two weeks in, you're like, oh, wow, this is completely unlike what I expected. This is a train wreck waiting to happen. Like it's only a matter of time before this all falls apart. You feel like your only choice to save face is to, to leave the company pretty much in general, right? You don't, there's no way to say, Hey, can I go backwards? Most companies wouldn't accept that. Or they would, they would think something's wrong when it probably is the cheaper, better option because you were already probably performing well. So much better. And you didn't fail. It's an experiment to make your best self. And Oh, by the way, the payoff that I did not anticipate that I will love to say, Pat, you were so smart. (laughs) I wasn't, um, is that those that left become a IC, like left that track, not Mm -hmm. the company. 
just to be clear, they didn't leave. They went back to the IC track. They become better employees. They have more respect, understand the gnarliness of what it takes to manage. They have more patience. They know how to give feedback with grace. And they're like, let's climb the mountain together. No, they know the shoes. It's just, it was an amazing approach to this dynamic for that first time manager. Did I hear you say gnarliness? Gnarly, yeah. You're practicing your surfer lingo in addition to- (laughs) Okay, excellent. Well, there was one other thing that I was, that that reminded me of the story, reminded me of a company in the healthcare space a few years ago. They realized that like most companies, one of their biggest problems with managers is we can't get these people to actually give feedback to the people that work for them. They won't tell them what they're, how they're doing. They won't give them, rec- they just mm-hmm. like it, like they're having to pay for every time they give a, a compliment out. And so what they started doing is looking at some of the, the way feedback went around their company and they realized, Hey, wait a minute, we have this chunk of people who are individual contributors who are giving feedback to others. They're not being compensated for it. It's not part of their job description. They're just doing it as a natural behavior because that's who they are. And so wait a minute, why, why don't we start putting these people on the track for leadership? Because they're already exhibiting some of these behaviors that we're looking for. So again, coming from a different angle from what you talked about, but I love these examples of there are other ways to do this than just, okay, how long have you been here? Okay, you're ready. Time, you're ready. You're yeah. not a pizza, you're not a muffin. Like you're not coming out of the oven, you're ready to be done. <laughs> people have different plans, different, different life stages, everything else that might influence whether they want to be a manager right now at some point in the future or never in some cases. And that's perfectly fine, but I don't feel like we should be shoving that on them. So whew, I feel like we could spend all day just on this one, but I had some other questions. If you're okay, I want to get to some of those. Okay. So uh, you gave us some good ideas there. Growth mindset, vulnerability, agility are key things. If a manager is going to, um, if we're going to help enable them to be more, more effective leaders there, I was going to ask you, you've already kind of touched on this a little bit, practical ideas on how to start building skills. I love your example of, hey, there's there's no problem with letting them try it out a little bit. But I wanted to give you, uh, give you a chance to share anything else you could think of around practical ideas for helping them to have maybe some of those direct conversations with their people or how to you know, practice some of those things that great leaders do and help them to get more comfortable with those types of behaviors, essentially. And there's a whole art and a science around feedback. So if I stop you in the moment, say, hey, Ben, love this interview, but can I give you some feedback right now? Absolutely not. Exactly. Most of us would say that. <laughs> like, you certainly right may, now. Pat. I'm always open. <laughs> sure. I'm not. Literally, I'm not. Some days I'm not. Right? Some days we're not. And so if you think about the brain, right, the fight or flight, when you say that, like, I'm in the flow, I'm just trying to get stuff done right now. Can you hold your constructive feedback to a later date? Or is it really critical to course correct me in the moment so I can do better in the meeting? Like, what is this about? Because we have this fight or flight thing going on all the time in our brain. And so teaching managers and leaders and peers how to give feedback. So I am listening, active listening. That is a skill, right? Um, It is setting up the social norms of when feedback is given and received. So in my own team, when I'm building out my team, I ask them, how do you like to receive feedback? You know, how do you, do you want to grow? What do you want to grow? How do you aspire to be great? Like, like help me understand. And when do you want me to coach you in the moment? When do you want me to like do like batch processing, so to speak? Like let's check in every couple of weeks or a month and say, how are things going on goals and setting and things of that nature? And so um, not one size fits all again, right? That's why this management gig is really hard. And then really listen to your employees. 
right? And so I have people that want to be on my team that say, Pat, I want to be a great CHRO. I'm like, all right, well, I love that. So what does that mean to you? What is it, you know, why do you want to work for me? Like, tell me more what you want to learn. And they want to learn how to be human centric systems thinking, enterprise aware, business savvy, whatever those things are. And I said, okay, then in your path of learning and doing your day job, do I have your permission to give you feedback along the way where we have opportunities to grow in these areas? Like if I think your elbows are out, can I smooth out your elbows? If I think you're not thinking about the business or you just think about your function, can I course correct you in the moment? How, how do you want to go on this journey of development with me? Putting them in the ownership, owner seat kind of thing. And then when I get to that feedback, they're more than willing and they're actually hungry for it. I mean, they are so hungry for it. But I've negotiated in the front end, so it doesn't feel like I'm doing something to you. We're doing it together. And then I always end the conversation like, how can I be a better partner to you to achieve your goal? What, as your manager, do I need to do better to make sure that you you, you are net better off by having worked with me? How can I help? It reminds me that approach that you take, you said we couldn't give you credit earlier for the other idea. We can give you credit for this one. So you get credit for all the good stuff, right? From here on out. You That reminds me of the Robert Cialdini book where he talks about how to persuade other people. He talks about the importance of getting commitment and then being consistent with that. So in this case, we're getting commitment from each other on what this is going to look like. And if now they're not, then on, it's on me to make sure I'm holding consistent to that because you've told me that's what you expect. Right? Yeah. If, if I don't meet those expectations or if I, if I decide to change it arbitrarily, that's when people start to feel some friction, some frustration about that whole process probably. Yes. And it's like, and it takes a couple of times, like they've said that and I'm like, all right. So then there's a moment and, and they're exhibiting things that I don't think is like teaching them the enterprise way of thinking or human centric way of thinking, whatever that thing is. And I'm like, all right. Remember when, when we decided to work together, you asked for this. So I'm giving this feedback with like a lot of clarity and tough love to make sure in the moment you see exactly what I see. And if you don't, let's have that rumble now. Let's, how did you approach it? How did I see it? You know, this is how I would approach. There's many ways to approach, but do you agree that your approach was like less than ideal? Because if you can see it, then we can do something with it. Maybe my path's not the right path, but if you can see the difference, we can grow together. And they're like, yeah, I did ask. You're right. Yes, you're right. I want more. <laughs> what, I, what strikes me there is the importance of really understanding that person. Because the way that Pat wants it is not the way that Ben wants it. It's not the way that anybody listening in right now, you probably have your own thing, right? Your own approach, yeah. your own way of working, your own way of how I'm going to process this. It, the closest parallel I can think of is I'm talking with, we have four kids, so I beat you by one, but I'm okay. talking with our older ones who are twins. And even them, they have very different ways of receiving feedback from a coach during, during sports. Yes. I'm like yell at them, get them fired up, get them jazzed up. The other one you yell and she shuts down immediately. And so again, probably less yelling at work, but the same kind of thing, the way we interact, the way we approach that, you may think, well, this is the best way, but if it's not the way that person is going to receive it, then then you're missing a chance to really bring the best out of them ultimately. Yeah. And that's why I I always go back to the agility situational leadership and it's a co-creation of how you want to grow together. It's not just my way. It's like, how, how, how do you want to grow? And then if it doesn't calibrate, because maybe coming on too strong. Maybe I expect too much. Maybe now's not a good time. Like we'll figure it out. Well, that's one of the things too. The first thing you said was the timing piece. And it's so easy to overlook that, but 
if someone has had the hardest day at work in a long time, they've dealt with these three big things, or they're, if you hit them right there in that moment, you go here, go to your accounting team when it's the end of the quarter and say, Hey, I like to give some feedback on how things are going. They're going to say, get out of here and come back next month, you know, with yes. this time. And the same thing applies to any one of our people. We've got to be cognizant of those kinds of things. Even if we're ready to give it, even if it's like, we feel like it's the right time. If they're not ready to receive it again, it's not going to land with the intended impact. We don't want to create frustrations out of this. We want to help them ultimately to perform better. That's the goal here. And we're trying to help them be who they're meant to be. So excellent. Totally agree. And I've actually had said today's not a good day for my feedback. Like I've had some critical feedback in my day already. My cup of development is running over. <laughs> Absorb my feedback. No more <laughs> feedback. Okay. I'll hold no the feedback. I'll hold mine for later, Pat. So I'll hold only mine. if it's great, then then bring it on. <laughs> Okay, so we've got some really good ideas here out on the table for people that are trying to enable managers to be better partners and everything else in this process. And one of the things I want to talk to you about a little bit is how the conversation of belonging fits into this. So this may feel like a little bit of a departure from the rest of this line of thinking, but we've just finished some new research that shows that whether someone feels like they belong at work or not, there are very strong correlations to how they feel about their manager. They don't feel like a manager supports them. They don't feel like they belong. I'm not part of this place. I'm just, you know, here until I find something better. But if they feel like they belong, then they are more likely to say, I am here, I'm committed, and my manager supports me. And I feel like the company is all these things. I can go down that, that rabbit hole. But there's all these things that are wrapped up into this concept of whether they feel like they belong or not. And the thing that hits me is so, you ask any one of you listening right now, you ask your leadership, hey, do we do we want to create a culture where people feel like they belong? All of them would say, yes, absolutely want to do that. But then it boils down to the level of that manager actually doing that for their teams and making them feel like they belong and feel like they're part of something bigger and more important. And I'd love to get your input on that piece of that because we've talked about some other aspects of that relationship, but I feel like this is an important one that we we can't do ourselves. I can't make someone feel like that manager cares about them and like they really belong in that team. That manager has to do that. But if you tell a manager today, hey, go make your team feel like they belong, do I take them to ice cream? Like what, what's the answer to this? So I'd love to hear from you what thoughts you have around that. So let's um, take this up 10,000 feet for a quick second. The reason why this is really important, I kind of stumbled on it back in, in 2016. I was thinking about, Dean and I was asked to speak on a panel uh, at a professional businesswoman's conference. And they said, Pat, can you do like a TED-like talk about this topic? And, I, and I'm an introvert. So if it's like me alone on a stage, I freak out. If it's me conversing with you, I'm real comfortable. Like, I don't even know who's watching us. So I'm really relaxed right now, Ben. But if it was like a bunch of people, I'd probably be sweating it out. Um, and so if I'm on a panel, it's easy for me to do Q&A as well. So this TED-like talk kind of froze me. But then she asked me, Pat, as a talent leader, can you tell me how you feel about DNI? And I'm like, wow, that's a powerful question. Asking someone how they feel about something is different than what you think about it. And so I did not answer right away. So let me to give you time. Let me let me think this through and, and see how I feel, which in and of itself was telling as head of talent. I sure already know how I felt about it. Mm-hmm. I did not realize <laughs> how transparent I was in that call. And the next day I came back and I said, look, d is necessary, but not sufficient. If you are going to drive huge transformation, if you're going to build a better um, company, if you're going to impact the world, if you're going to pursue your purpose, then you have to grab people's brains and their hearts. You have to. 
And so DNI grabs my brain, but not my heart. It's that sense of belonging. If I, if you included me, if you invited me to the dance, but I don't feel like dancing because I dance a little weird, that's not a sense of belonging, right? You've checked the mark on diversity, check the mark on inclusion, but I'm not really going to be there. And so same thing happens at work. If you're doing innovation, if you're solving problems, diversity makes us smarter only if we hear the diversity of points of view. If I am quiet because I don't feel like I belong, I don't feel safe then the product outside of that room is less than it should be. We have group think. So belonging and that ability to have psychological safety matters for work output. The other thing that's tricky about belonging is that we're genetically wired to want and need to belong. It's a survival tactic. So back, back, back in the cavemen, women days, um, we were all diverse for a reason for survival. So we do hunters and gatherers, introverts and extroverts is also genetically wired in us interestingly enough. And so um, if you're genetically um, wired to belong, it's a safety mechanism. So if I belong to a community and I serve a unique purpose, you will take care of me. If I'm the cook of a house of four children, you need me. <laughs> you need me. I feel like I belong there, right? You're going to love me for my food and my cooking. Everyone's fed. You have a child that does the cleaning. I love them. I need them right? The community works, right? So in a team, as a manager, you have to not only think about inclusion, you have to think about belonging and creating the safety for them to speak up because then you actually slow our neurological role to think through what do they mean? How do they mean it? Uh, what is the outcome of that? How do we make it better? And then thanking them for their point of view and practice the yes and teach them how to be, um, you know, play devil's advocate, had to do that with the team, just wanted to get along with each other. So they were never constructive criticism on any idea. There was, oh, that's great. That, oh, Ben, you're so smart. And so um, how do you go, Ben, yes, I love your idea. If I'm playing devil's advocate, I think the, the, the one weak spot that someone might point out would be the following. Of course, I wouldn't point it out, but someone would if I'm playing devil's advocate with you. And so I don't feel attacked. Right. I don't feel like I'm attacking Ben. I don't feel like I'm attacking my friend. I feel like we're just being constructive thought leaders. So there's ways to create that. And if I give them give people space to do this, that sense of belonging goes up. Tips and tricks for this audience. This is so passionate for me, Ben. I apologize. But bring it uh, while you're here. Yeah, it's like welcome to our team. Language matters, not my team anymore. It's our team. As soon as I hire you, it's us. Not you and them. It's us right? It's us. It is introducing the human, not their gig. My job changes with every company I go to. My title might even stay the same, but what I do in my purpose kind of evolves over time. And so introducing that you like to water ski and you like basket weaving and you have four kids, that's the human. That's why I said I'm a surfer. I'm a grandma. I'm a mom. I'm this more than my job. I am this in a bag of tricks. That's the human. That helps with one. I smiled so big when you said that a minute ago, because one of the things that I accidentally started doing all those years ago when I was introducing new employees and bringing them in after onboarding and orientation. Okay. Hey, this is, this is Sarah. She also has a dog. Oh, and this is Phil. And when he's not here, he plays in the van on the weekends. And I went yes. around looking for ways to connect them to those, each of those people, because at the end of the week, it was like, oh gosh, there's 47 faces and all those names. And I have no idea who's who. Oh Yeah he's the one with the dog and she's the one who played the band or whatever else, right. They could come back to those connections for people. And 
I was doing those kinds of things to try to help them feel some sort of association or find a point of contact. Like, oh, me too. Or I've done that in the past or my husband does that or whatever other thing they could find there to make them feel like there's a point of connection between them. There's a psychologist that I follow that uses the term tether a lot. And I, it helps me to identify this. Do we feel tethered to the people around us? Do we feel like we're connected together? Because if we don't, we feel untethered. Why are we staying? We'll find someone else. Someone will call us with a job offer and they'll offer something to us. Our brain hears those tethers. They'll hear it as you'll feel like you belong. You'll feel like you're connected here. And that's what we're always seeking out. If we don't have a place where there's already some connection, those, those offers, those options sound more appealing than ever. So I love the, the way that you've laid out some of these ideas here, because it really, for me, it helps me to think about this in a more tangible and specific way. As I said earlier, any leader could say, yeah, we believe in that whole belonging thing. But when it comes down to it, that manager's got to believe it and has to execute on it, or it doesn't matter what we say from a leadership perspective. Totally agree. Okay. I feel like I've grilled you to no end on some of these things. So I just want to thank you for spending some time with us. If you, I'm going to give you a chance here, open mic. So any last parting words, bits of wisdom, encouragement, as you yourself said, you've had experiences at a variety of companies, variety of roles in leadership. You've seen things that work really well. Some things probably don't work nearly as well. Anything that you want to leave us with some bit of wisdom or something like that to help encourage the rest of the HR leaders out there listening in right now? Stay curious, agile, co-create whenever you can. Uh, the world has shifted around us, behind us, in front of us. Um, so don't use your pattern recognition and put the human in the middle of it. It doesn't mean you give them the yes that they are looking for. It means that uh, you can tell them the cost of yes is too high, right? This is not a practice we can live with for these reasons for fairness and equity and understanding and, and affordability as a business. We can say no with compassion. Um, so, so be human in every exchange and um, yeah, stay curious. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you again so much, Pat, for joining us, for sharing your, your encouragement, your enthusiasm with us. I'm so excited to have the chance to finally meet you virtually at least. And I appreciate you for hanging out with us here. My pleasure. This was fun. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm honored to have you as a listener. If you enjoyed this episode, please take 10 seconds to rate it at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you know a friend that could benefit from today's conversation, please pass it their way. After all, a rising tide lifts all ships. To see show notes, sponsor information, and our full show archives, visit onlyhumanshow.com. 